and everything looks terrible in our lives, you're still the same. And your word is still the same. And so we turn to you this morning and we turn to your word. Your love for us never fails, it never fades, it never varies. Your goodness towards our life is the same. There is no variables, no shadow of turning in you. And every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of light. And Father, we take today we want to turn to those good gifts. Your word says that your spirit has been given to us to reveal to us the things that are in your heart, the things that you have prepared for those who love you. And your spirit's been given to us to reveal those things. And you've given us your word. It is your speaking to us every day and every time we open this word. And so, Lord, we're looking for you, Father, to speak to us into our own hearts. You know what each person needs today. Not just hears, but you know what each of us need deposited in our hearts. And so I trust, Father, myself. I trust my heart, my mind, my voice, my lips to the Holy Spirit to speak today only what you would want to say and under the anointing of your spirit because the ideas of man does nothing for us but the anointing of your spirit breaks the yokes of bondage. And so we're trusting you to do that. I thank you for the strength and grace that we need to do that for me, from my end to speak and from their end to listen. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. And amen. Well, we're going to try to get through this story. I've tried for three weeks. And uh, we'll make it today, I believe. Open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. What we're talking about right now in this last few weeks is learning how to walk by faith and why that's important. But the reason for that is we're learning how to walk in the Spirit. Because what we've discovered is that the Bible teaches us that there are two realms of existence. There's this natural material realm that we live in, that our body is part of, that the chair you're sitting is, is it's anything that your five senses can detect, can, can, and that's the world that's around us, it's what God created in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2. But we also discovered this is another realm of existence that's more real, that's eternal, and that's the spirit realm, and that's the realm where God lives. And that is eternal, it never changes, it is all-powerful, God is all-powerful, and everything that is in this realm comes into this realm out of the spirit realm. And when God made us, he made man different than every other creature. This is one of the things that makes us different than the chimpanzees and the porpoises and all the other beings that we're learning how to worship in the world today. God made man in his image. And man, therefore, is made of three parts, spirit, soul, and body. Your body is from this natural material realm. Your spirit is from God's realm. That's the part of you that belongs is from God's realm. And your soul is your personality. It's your mind, your will, and your emotions. And it's designed by God to bridge that gap between your spirit, your spirit, and your body. We've we've gone over all that, so we're not going to dwell on that again. But the reason why that's important is everything that God's done for us when you come to Christ. When you come to Christ and receive Christ in your life, you change kingdoms. Colossians 1.13 says you've been, if you've come to Christ, you have been delivered out of the dominion, the domain, the authority of darkness, that Satan domain, and you've been transferred over into the kingdom of God's beloved Son. But when I gave my life to Christ in my living room some 30-some years ago, he didn't pick my body up out of that living room and bring my body over and put my body somewhere. The change didn't... My eyes were the same color the next morning. My hair, and I had more of it then, and it was a different color then. didn't change in the morning. It's changed now. And, and, and I didn't look any different except there was a big smile on my face because the change that took place on me took place on the 
inside, and I didn't really understand that. I just knew something happened inside of me. Well, over the years in studying my Bible and in studying, I've come to an understanding of what it is that happened inside of me. And the Bible says that I became a new creature in Christ Jesus, 2 Corinthians 5.17. That he who knew no sin became sin, that, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's verse 21. So God took my old sinful nature out and put a brand new nature into me, new spirit in me, which was born out of him, of him. That's why we are children of God. The part of you that's God's child is your spirit man, not your physical body. Your body's going to stay here when you leave it, and you go to be with him. Come back later for a resurrected body, but when you die, if Jesus doesn't come back first, you're leaving this body here because it's of the material substance of this world. But that's not who you are. And I learned to talk to my body in the morning and remind my body, you're just a tent I live in. The real me is on the inside. The real me is eternal. And so in order to... to, to but, but in that person, in that spirit God's given you is everything you're ever going to need. God's put His wisdom in there. He's put His strength in there. He's made you to be the righteousness of God. I'm discovering that the biggest challenge most Christians have including me, in our confidence before God is because of just exactly what Pastor Kurt talked about. It's our self-image. We know ourselves. I know what I've been like. I know that I'm still many times self-centered. I know all that stuff, but what I had to realize is that's not my spirit nature. That's just my unrenewed mind. That's the, the desires and impulses of my flesh. And so in order to be transformed, in order to be, begin to walk out who you really are in Christ and what God's really done for you and the power that God's put in you, that's what's just my eyes are getting opened up to. All the scriptures that talk about the power that is in us now, not will come when we go to heaven, the power that's in us now. Ephesians, we did, last week we talked about Ephesians 3, verse 20, which says that God will do exceeding, can do exceedingly abundantly beyond all you can ask or think according to the power that works in us. Paul was searching that. Philippians, he talked about that I might know the power of his resurrection. Ephesians 1 talks about the power of God that's been given to the church. And where is it? Where is it? Where do we see it? I don't see it today here. I don't see it in here. I don't see it so much in my life. I don't see it in your life. And yet the Word of God says that power is in us. So somewhere there's a disconnect. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2 verse 1, he said, I didn't come to you in in the enticing words of man's wisdom, but I came to you in the demonstration. That's something you can see and the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what the church is lacking, and we need that today to carry out the will. Acts chapter 1, Jesus says, you've been trained by me. How can you have a better teacher than Jesus? And they were trained and taught by him for three and a half years, and having trained and taught them, he says, this is not enough. My training and teaching is not enough. There's a lesson in that, brothers and sisters, Our training and teaching is not enough. It's important, but it's not enough. He says, wait here in Jerusalem until you're endued with power from on high. And that is the infilling, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so we have that power in us. You may need to learn to be filled with it. We'll talk about that. But you've got to know He's in you now. If If you're in Christ, He is in you. So part of learning how to do, part of that experience is learning how to walk, the Bible says, walk in the Spirit or being led by the Spirit. 
And we've talked about what that means is living your walking in the Bible means not just physically one foot in front of the other. It's how you conduct your life. It's the living of your life. Instead of one foot in front of the other, it's one day after the other. And so, but we're learned to walk in the Spirit. What that means is to walk, live your life, whatever you're going through, more aware of the Spirit world and the Spirit man that's on the inside of you than you are of what's going on around you. We looked at Jesus as a great example of that. We saw nothing moved him. They tried to stone him to death, and they tried, you know, he, 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 he did things that didn't seem to work right away. It didn't move him. And yet look at all that God was able to do with him because he was not distracted, discouraged, or in any way moved by anything his senses told us. His disciples tried the same things. In some cases they succeeded, like Peter walked on water for a while, and then he got moved by what he could see and feel the wind, by what his natural senses told him, and then he began to sink. So we're learning how to walk by faith. We need, in order to walk in the Spirit, you've got to walk by faith because you can't see the Spirit. If there was a meter here somewhere or just kind of a plastic window inside and you could look inside in the morning and say, Oh, good morning, Holy Spirit, you're there. I can see what you want. You're writing out your instructions for me today. You don't have to walk by faith. But he didn't make us that way. He made us so we have to learn to trust based on what God's Word said, not how we feel, not how we think, not what our body's telling us. We have to learn to walk by faith in order to walk by the Spirit. So 2 Corinthians chapter 4, this is the verse, we're going to just look at verse 17 and 18. 16, I start there. Therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, that's this physical body, yet the inward man, that's the spirit man on the inside, is being renewed by, day by day. Verse 17. For our, this, our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a more exceeding eternal weight of glory. We spent a whole week on that, so let's move on. Verse 18, this is where I wanted to get to. While we look, do not look at the things that are seen, but at the things that are not seen. For the things that are seen are temporary because they're of this realm. The things that are not seen are eternal. What he's talking about is walking by faith, because he goes on in chapter 5 or 7 to say that. What he's saying is learning to walk, learning to look at, pay attention to, focus on, be moved by not what your eyes see or your ears hear or your body feels, but by what the Word of God says, by the things that are eternal, by the spirit realm. And I've told you story after story back when I was a lawyer and practiced law of how even in a courtroom I learned to be led by the Spirit, that the Spirit would guide me through several impossible situations, cases that were absolutely lost, and He gave me the wisdom of what to say or what to do that turned the thing around. Well, if God would do that in a court case, wouldn't He do that in our lives? So God wants to lead you. He wants to empower you. He wants to strengthen you. He wants to guide your life. He wants to, literally the Bible says, He wants to fill you with Himself. But that's not going to happen through our senses. It's going to happen as we learn to be more aware of Him on the inside of us. Colossians 3 verse 1 says that if you've been raised with, if you've been crucified with Christ, you've been raised with Him. Therefore, set your mind, your focus on things above. That's the spirit realm, not on the things of this earth. And yet, I know in order to live our life, to drive your car, to go to work, you've got to pay attention to natural things. But even while you're doing that, you can be aware on the inside of who's in you. I get up in the morning and talk to the Holy Spirit. When I get up, I just say, good morning. I say, good morning to my wife, because I know she's there. I say, good morning to him inside of me. And I begin just to talk to him when I get up. He and I have a cup of coffee together. I drink most of it. (laughs) 
<laughs> but I talked to him. And that's how you develop a relationship with him. And then I begin to enter into my time with, with the Lord and with him. But the Spirit of God is in me to bring me into that place of his fellowship and into that place of, of communing with him. And so we've looked at examples. We looked at Jesus. We looked at Peter, some of the disciples. But we began to look last week at an example that's been given to us. And we'll see later this morning why. It's been given to us as a, as a very detailed example of what to do and what not to do. So let's go to Numbers chapter 13. And we did this last week. While you're turning there, and while I'm turning there, I want to remind you that what we saw, we're not going to go there, what we saw in Exodus, by the way, just a reminder, this is God interacting with a nation that he formed for himself, the nation of Israel. And God formed this nation so that he could have a relationship with them that was special apart from any other people on the face of the earth, so that it would be a witness to the rest of the world of what God was like, that he was, he was not just something that lived in heaven, or he was not some wooden statue, but he was a living being that you could have a living relationship with, and that he would bless you and heal you and protect you and provide for you and forgive you. And this is what God's will was. And so God took man Abram, he formed a nation through him, through Abraham, then his son Isaac, then their son Jacob, who had 12 sons. And then at a time when God knew ahead of time there was going to be a famine, God sent one of those 12 sons, Joseph, and it's a long story in St. Genesis, into Egypt. And as a result of his obedience, Joseph becomes the prime minister of Egypt, the most ungodly nation on the face of the earth. But God puts him in that position to take care of God's own people because when the famine comes, Joseph has already prepared provision for that nation and therefore for his own people. And this is God taking care of his people. And God brings them down into Egypt. They overstay their need to be there. They're there 430 years and they finally end, they end up as slaves to the Egyptian pharaoh, and then they cry out for deliverance, and God has a deliverer already prepared. Moses sends him, gets him out of Egypt, trains him, and then sends him back into Egypt to bring God's people out. Now, Egypt represents in the Bible to us the world. It's what you and I were part of, and we've been brought out of that world as we've come to Christ. And God's people then, when they called out for deliverance, God delivers them out of Egypt by ten miraculous demonstrations by which Pharaoh finally lets the people go. We watched last week that they came out. They come to the Red Sea. God has Moses part the Red Sea. I'm not going to go back over that because we'll end up sidetracked again this morning. But it was good. And then God parts the Red Sea, or actually as Moses part the Red Sea, they walk across on dry land, about two to three million people. They get on the other shore, and now Pharaoh's chariots, 600 chariots, come storming in after them because Pharaoh changed his mind. And God lets the sea come in and swallow up. So in one day, they have watched this sea part, walk through, watching. They've seen all these things. That's my whole point. They've heard these things. They get to the other side and they see their enemy swallowed up as this water now comes back over and destroys their enemy. They go three days into the wilderness. Their canteens get dry. They go to a brook called, they go to a brook to drink water out of it and the water's bitter. And they begin to cry out right away, why did you bring us out here to die? Having seen all that, they didn't get the message of who God is and how, what God would do because all they're doing is looking at their natural needs. They're not recognizing the God 
that's been taking care of them. All they're seeing is the results of what he's doing and not who, oh, this is so good. Because this is why it's so important to learn to be thankful. Because when you learn to be thankful, you're acknowledging the things that you have and what God's done for you, but you're acknowledging He's the one that did it. So instead of just taking these things for granted, or worse than that, assuming you did it, you're recognizing that He's behind all of this. So it keeps us in touch with who's really doing this, so that when you find yourself in a, when you find yourself in a crisis, you know He's already there. Because He's faithfully brought you through. So important to learn to have an attitude of thankfulness. It's something that's not easy at first. You have to learn to practice. I just get up and I just start thanking God in the morning. Thank you. Got me through the night. Thank you. I, I had a nice sleep. Thank you. Thank you. I woke up this morning. Thank you for how you got me through. Yeah, I go over little, even little things. Thank you, Lord, that, that, that when I wasn't quite paying attention and that car was in front of me that I didn't hit it because my wife yelled and the angel stopped me from hitting it. I had two angels helping me. I got distracted by something. Well, we won't go there. And then what we saw last week is God gets them out in the wilderness. And they're out in the wilderness because He's trying to take them. He wants to take them to a land of blessing because He has a purpose for their being there, which is first of all to take care of them, but also there's a purpose. There's a witness for them to be there. And we saw that in Exodus 23, as they're going through this exercise over the brook, which because God, God has Moses touch the brook and it turns into sweet water, good water. And, and so God tells them, he, he, he says, I'm taking you to a land that's a blessing, flowing with milk and honey. Everything you need is going to be there. It's a prosperous land. And I'm taking you to there. That's your destiny. But right now it's inhabited by a bunch of ites. Hivites, Perizzites, Termites, all those other ites that are in there. And God says, I will drive them out before you. But I'm not going to do it all at once. I'm going to do it one at a time. And it's going to take about a year. Because if I drive them all out now, then the wild beasts will come in and they'll devour everything. So even the way I'm getting rid of your enemy is to take care of you. And then we saw in the next chapter, they agreed to all of this. They stood and have a covenant ceremony. By, so it's not like they didn't know this. That's the point. It's not like they never heard that there were ites in that, in that land they were going to. It's not like God didn't tell them who was there. And God told them what He was going to do. And they acknowledged it and agreed to all that God said. And that's where we ended up last time. Now we're going to pick up in Numbers verse, chapter 13. We're about a year Oh, by the way, in the meantime, at three months, God takes them down into the southern part of this peninsula, and God calls them around the base of Mount Sinai, and God comes down on top of the mountain and appears to them in a form, not all of His glory. And they, they run away and say, this is too much for us to see. Talk, you know, Moses, you go talk to God, and then come tell, him, tell us what He says, and, and, and we'll do what He says. Well, they didn't. I believe they intended that, but they didn't. See, God wanted them to come to the base of that mountain. Well, I don't want to go there because I'll get sidetracked again. Okay, so what we're now is that was about three months into this. Now we're a year. God, oh, oh, by the way, in the meantime, every morning when they get up, a dew falls down because they're out in the wilderness. 
And in wilderness there is not a bunch of trees and forests. It's hard, hot, rough, sharp rocks and sand and dirt. And there's very little water. There's no Walmart. There's no, you know, Shaw's. There's no, you know, 7-Eleven. You know, there's no place you can go to get food. Every once in a while there may be an oasis out there. But, but, so, but so what does God do every morning? Every morning. Dew falls out of heaven. And they go out and they're told to gather it up and they can knead it and it forms a, a dough which they can bake. And they call it manna, which in Hebrew means, what is this stuff? And God tells them, you can only do this, collect enough for today. Not two days worth, because if you collect more than one day, it's going to rot. Except on the sixth day, because the next day is the Sabbath and they can't go collect, you can collect two days. And God was training them. We may get there today. In Deuteronomy 8, He says, I was teaching them that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth. God was training them to trust Him, at his, take Him at His word. He was training them every day to trust Him for the next day. And they didn't learn the lesson. That's what we're going to learn from this. It's very important we go through this because what we're going to see at the end of this story is this is in here for our benefit so that we can learn something so we don't make the same mistake. All right? You with me? So now we're going forward another nine months and there... Oh, by the way, also every morning there's a cloud that comes up in front of them and moves in front of them to guide them. At night, it's a pillar of fire to keep them warm. In the day, it's this cloud to kind of protect them from the sun and also to... So they're being supernaturally guided by a cloud, like a whirlwind type of thing. And this is... Then they got... Again, I can't go into all the details. God has them construct a tent, a a little church, and this fire dwells in this church over the... So, I mean, they're seeing every day, they're seeing some supernatural evidence all around them that God is with them and providing for them. They're seeing it with these eyes. They're hearing things with their ears every day. Now we come to the end of the first year and they come up on the edge of this land that God wants to take them to. Now in Numbers 13 it says, The Lord spoke to Moses and told them to send 12 spies. If you read the same version over in Deuteronomy, which is kind of a rehearsal of this, you'll find that they came to Moses and asked to do this. And I believe if you combine the two together, what happened is they came to Moses and said, we'd like to send some representatives in there just to see what's going on in there. And God gave them permission to do this. Sometimes, you know, if you ask God for something that may not be the best thing for you, He may say, go ahead. He may say, go ahead, because He wants you to learn something. And this is what happens. So they select, they select one representative from each one of the 12 tribes. And one of them's name is Caleb. He's from one of the tribes. And another's name is Joshua. He's from another tribe. And they send them in for 40 days. And they go all around the land of what is now Israel or Palestine, or what was at the time Palestine. And they come back with this, with this incredible report that, 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 that it is a land, if everything God says is true, and I'll read the report in a minute, 
they come back, they've been in a valley called Eskol. And the grapes are in such huge grapes, and the clusters are so great, they decide to bring back, listen carefully, they decide to bring back evidence that the people could see with their eyes of what was there. And we're talking about learning to walk by faith and not by sight. So that's why I'm emphasizing things that they're seeing. And so they come back, these grapes are so big that they've got to carry one cluster on a pole between some men. That's some kind of grape. I don't want to be there when they squish it. (laughs) That is some kind of grape. And they come back. So we're going to pick up in verse 26. And now they departed and they came back to Moses and Aaron, to all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. And they brought back word to them. Remember we saw last week, faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. They brought back word. Words are so important. Words either build your faith up or they tear it down. They brought back word to them, that's Moses and Aaron, and to all the congregation, and they showed them, that's for their eyes, the fruit of the land. So they bring back a verbal report, words, and they show them physical, tangible evidence of what they found. Wow, that's great. Verse 27, Then they told them and said, We went to the land where you sent us, and truly it does flow with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Stop there. What they're basically saying is God told us the truth. Because God told them, I'm sending you into a land that flows with milk and honey. I'm sending you into a land that will provide all your needs, that is full of delicious, wonderful, big fruit. God told them, God, listen carefully, God told them that. Back in Exodus 23. He told them that nine months ago in this story. They get to the edge and they say, okay, we know what God told us, but maybe we better check it out for ourselves. So let's send some of our representatives in and let them come back and tell us what they see so we know whether what God told us can be trusted. You following me? Because we're in this story somewhere. Now they come back and they're saying basically, God's, it's exactly the way God said it. It's flowing with milk and honey. In other words, God told us the truth. And we have physical evidence of what God said is true. If it just ended there. See, what God wanted, I believe, is God wanted them to not need to send 12 spies in. But they got there and because God said, I'm giving you this land, that's all they needed. And He'd been training them every day for a whole year now, that everything he said came to pass every day. So you got to understand that when what, what happens, happens. It's not because they were brand new. See, God knows where your faith level should be. 
He knows where your growth could be, and He is expecting us to grow in our faith. And if you don't grow in your faith, God may allow you to stub your toe so you realize, well, wait a minute, something's not right here. And then you realize, well, wait a minute, maybe I should have been developing my faith all along because God's not angry. He's a Father that loves us, but He wants to train us so that we can walk with Him and not be moved by what's going on in the world around us so that we can finish our course with joy so that we're not moved by circumstances. So all the things we've talked about, about why it's so important to walk in the Spirit, comes by being trained not to be moved by what your senses tell you, because what's on the inside of you is so much more real. That doesn't happen in a day, or a week, or a month, or even a year. But you've got to begin the process, or else it never happens. And if it never happens, you never mature, and you never grow up, and you'll spend your entire life being a carnal Christian. Can I get into heaven carnal? Yes. But you'll never have done what God wanted you to do. Your life here will be just like the world and God will not have been able to use you as a witness that He wanted to use you for your family, for the church, and for what God wants to do. There's much at stake. There's much at stake in our learning to walk by faith. It's not just so we can get blessings. It's so you can walk in the Spirit and not be moved by what's going on around you. And you know you're being carnal and moved by what's going on here when you're up one day and down the next, when you're up one day and down the next. And then you begin to realize, the reason I'm up is everything's going well. I can see good things, I can hear good things, I feel good things, my body feels well, I'm, you know, and then all of us, the next morning you wake up and those don't look as well, you don't feel as well, all of a sudden the stock market went down yesterday or whatever happened, you know, the, 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 the dog didn't bring the paper in or whatever, and now you go plummeting down again. That's a sign of carnality. Remember, carnal doesn't mean you're a sinner. Carnal means you're dominated by your carnal, your flesh. You're dominated by it. You're led by it. You decide what's right and wrong, what's true about the world around you by what your senses tell you, and that's what they're doing here. So they brought back a report that essentially says, God told us the truth. He didn't lie to us. Okay? But look at this. This is the problem. When you're going by your senses, verse 28, Nevertheless, nevertheless means in spite of what we just said, something else is true. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw. Remember we just read 2 Corinthians We don't look at the things that are seen, but the things that are not seen. Look means pay attention, rely on, focus on. God spoke to them His promise that yes, I'm taking you into a land, and yes, there are people who dwell in that land, and yes, they're strong, and yes, the cities are fortified, and yes, they're very large, and yes, the descendants of Anak are there. But I will move them out. I I will remove their defense from them. I will destroy them and move them out one by one. That's what God said. But they go by what they saw, not by what God said. We saw the descendants of Anak. Anak were believed to be like giant men, seven feet tall and larger. They were big, strong warrior men. 
Verse 29. And the Amalekites will dwell there in the land of the south, and the Hittites, and the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea. We read last week, God told them that. This shouldn't have been some shock. God said, there, these ites are there. But I will take care of them. I will remove them. So they for, either they've forgotten what God said, or it had no impact on them. A lot of times it's not that we don't remember what God said, it has not had an impact on us. So we come to church and we hear a method, or we sing songs this morning about God is my healer and all those things, and we get emotionally stirred up, and, but it has no lasting impact on us because we walk out there into symptoms. We walk out there into a medical report. We walk out there into unexpected bills. We walk out there to a pink slip tomorrow and find out I don't have a job for Christmas time. We walk out there and we just... And we get so moved by that that with the word we heard hadn't taken root in us and it's not dominating us. We throw it all out and we just go by what's our senses and your senses will talk to you. It's not just what you see, it's what you think about that. That pink slip comes and first of all, you don't even know they made a mistake. But your mind immediately runs and starts telling you what's going to happen, what the future is going to look like. We're going to be, I'm going to laid off. We're not going to have anything for Christmas and this is going to happen. We're going to be, we can't pick up mortgages. We're going to be out in the street. And blah, 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 blah. By the time you get home, I mean, you're destitute and out on the streets. And you don't even know if it's true yet. Because you've let your mind run with what your body, because your mind and your body are hooked up instead of your spirit and your body hooked up. Because that's carnal minded. My mind is focused more on what my senses are telling me and much less on what I, what God, the, the God, <laughs> I got a pink slip, and I'm panicking down the street, and yet God lives on the inside of me. I mean, think about that. What, what, whatever, the, whatever the sudden disaster that shows up, I got a pink slip, or I've heard they're going to be laying people off at the first of the year. And I'm starting to, my mind's starting to panic, and yet I've got the creator of the universe living on the inside of me. Or you get an unexpected doctor's report the way I did this year. And I share with you, when I walked out of that doctor's report, doctor's office with my mind trying to seize up, I heard and hear God speak to me. And that settled me down and comforted me that God was in this with me and directing me. And I love to tell you there was no times that I didn't have fear. That's not true. But I knew in me that I was not alone. God had this well under control and brought me through it. Learning who's on the inside of you. And here they had all this training and experience in their senses but they didn't learn to buy it. God told them all these things. Verse 29. Well, we already got there. Yeah, the Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the mountains. The Canaanites dwell by the sea along with the banks of Jordan. And Caleb quieted the people before Moses. 
and said, Let us go up at once and take possession. For we are well able to overcome it. Caleb speaking a different message. But the men who'd gone up with him said, We're not able to go up against this people, for they're stronger than we are. Here's, this is a perfect example of what goes on inside of us when something goes wrong. We get two reports. I mean, if you've been around a while, you know what the Word of God says. Whether it's by His stripes you've been healed or that God will provide all your needs. You know the promises of God. You know them. They've been put down inside of you. And now this physical evidence is out there telling you you're not going to make it. Telling you this is wrong. You know, the chi- your child got up and rebelled and left home. Or whatever, the, whatever the, the, the thing is coming at you. And your mind wants to run with that and paint pictures of what's going to happen. And you're, you're turning, trying to turn to the inside and say, God, what are you saying? You're going through this. There's two reports coming to you. There's what your mind, your unrenewed mind that's connected to your body and your senses is screaming at you. We can't make it. There's these obstacles there. And yet inside of you, the Spirit of God's trying to tell you, you are well able. You are well able. Unfortunately, we're going to see that although there were 12 spies, the two that gave a good report were outnumbered. And until you grow in faith, these, the good report inside of you is likely to be outnumbered. This is why we have to increase the testimonies that are inside of us. So look at this. We're not able to go up, for they're stronger than we. Here, here's what's going on. And this, there are other, many other stories we could use as an example of this. Joshua, well, we haven't mentioned Joshua yet, but Joshua and Caleb are looking at this situation in terms of what God's promised. Everything they're deciding of what they can do or not do is filtered through what God has said. I know the Amalekites are in there. I know all these enemies are in there. I know the descendants of Anak are in there. We saw them. But what's that got to do with what God said He's going to do for us? Do we think they're mightier than God? Because God said He was going to drive them out. So in Joshua's mind and Caleb's mind, the issue is, is, are these ites stronger than God or is God mightier than the ites? Because they saw God fighting the battle for them, not them fighting their own battle. Because God said He'd do it. Everybody with me so far? But the other ten are not looking at things in terms of what God's Word said. They're looking in terms, in terms of them, how they see themselves. So they don't see God fighting for them, which is what he said they do. They see them fighting against all these enemies, and they look at themselves and said, we're not good enough, we're not strong enough to do this. And this is exactly what Pastor Kurt was talking about earlier. We look at the situations in our life, and then we think we're facing them alone. And we know ourselves, we know our weaknesses, we know our past, we know our mistakes, and we try to fight these things, and we're aware, and the devil will just pound on you, you unrighteous thing, how do you, why do you think God would do something for you? We know your past, you didn't do this, and you haven't done, by the way, you didn't pray enough last week, you may have forgotten your tithe this morning, you may not even believe in tithing, so why would God help you? All that's based on you, and what you're like. And it's all designed to tear down confidence in you. But God's not expecting you to have confidence in you. God wants us to learn to have confidence in Him and what He's said He'd do. 
So they're looking at what they see in terms of what they can do. Forgotten about what God said. Caleb and Joshua are looking in terms of what God said, and it's a totally different viewpoint. It's kind of like King David when he came upon the scene with Goliath. And you've got the army of the Philistines on one side of the valley, and you've got the army of the Israelites on the other side. I mean, trained army. And you've got King Saul, the commander of the army, who's seven feet tall, taller than all the rest of them. And they're scared because every morning and every night, Goliath comes out and tells them what he's going to do to them. And the Israeli soldiers hear what Goliath, hear what Goliath says, look at how big Goliath is, and run back into camp scared. And this shepherd boy, David, shows up. And when he sees what's going on here, he's shocked. Because his comment is, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Now, if you don't understand the Old Testament covenant, you understand what he's saying. What he's saying is, to be an uncircumcised Philistine means this man has no covenant with God. We have a covenant with God. We are God's people, and the evidence of that is every male circumcised on the eighth day of his life. And this man, this army that was telling us and threatening us, they have no they have no covenant with God. And what Goliath was telling them is what he was going to do to them because Saul was their king. David says, What chance does this uncircumcised giant have? because he's defined the armies of the living God. David saw everything in terms of covenant, God's promise. What is this man is threatening this army that belongs to God? And God's promised that he will fight our battles for us because the battle's not ours, the battle's God. This giant doesn't stand a chance. Who does he think he is? This little shepherd boy was bold and confident, not in himself, because he saw this whole situation in terms of what God said about it. And so he acts on that and he slays the giant with, five, with one stone. Because God fought for him. And that's the same thing going on here. Let's read on. Verse 32. And they gave, this is the other ten, the children of Israel, a bad report. Some translations say an evil report of the land which they'd spied out, saying, the land which we've said, which we've gone as spies, is a land that devours its inhabitants. And the people whom we saw are men of great stature. We saw the giants, the descendants of Anak, who come from giants. And, and listen to this. This is what happens when you begin to run in your flesh. <clears throat> and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. How do they know how they were seen? How do they know how the Amalekites and the Hivites and the Perizzites and all the other rites, how do they know? Because when your mind starts running with your senses, you be it begins to paint pictures of you that become real, that aren't based on truth. And notice, they look at the threat... And then they look at themselves and compare themselves against what they imagine the threat is like. And they say, we're just like grasshoppers in our sight. 
you go over, we're not going to go there. If you go over to Joshua, I think it's seven, what you discover is what these other giants thought when they saw the children of Israel come. They were shaking in their boots because they had heard that the God who goes with them dried up the Red Sea. They had heard that the God who goes with them in the battle is the one who destroyed Pharaoh's army. They had more faith in God than God's people did. The devil's scared of you. I'm going to say that. I'm going to say it with boldness. I hope he hears it. The devil's scared of you. He's not scared of you because of who you are. He's scared of who lives in you. And he's scared you're going to find out who lives in you because the one who lives in you already defeated him. So he has to talk to you and tell you you're a grasshopper. You're nothing. You're standing for something and he'll tell you, well, this person believed for that and it didn't happen and this person believed for that and it didn't happen. This person believed for that and it didn't happen. My answer to that is Psalm 91. A thousand shall fall on my right, ten thousand on my left. It's not coming near me. What's that got to do with me, devil? I don't know what happened there, but I know you'd have no authority over me. He's trying to get you to look at who you are and what you can do. And that's what happened here. Because they didn't walk by faith in what God said. They had trained themselves, and which we're going to look at, they had, they had trained themselves, and it's not hard because our flesh is already going, they trained themselves to walk by their sight. What God was trying to train them to walk by faith. And when the moment comes, it's important which one you've learned to do. Now remember, they'd seen God deliver them from Pharaoh. They'd seen and heard the chariots destroyed. They'd seen the wall of water. They had seen God turn bitter water into sweet. They've seen every day and tasted every day God's supernatural food that fell out of heaven. They'd seen God defeat their enemies because they ran into some enemies in the course of this year. At some point, God's expecting them to learn to trust Him just because He said so. Numbers 14, just go right on down. And this is their response. So the congregation lifted up their voice, voices and cried and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel, look at this, they complained against Moses and complained against their leaders. The whole congregation said to them, If only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if we'd died in this wilderness. If only we had died in the land of Egypt. If only you'd left us alone. Wait a minute, who was the one that asked to get out? <laughs> if only we died in this wilderness. That becomes important in a few minutes. And, and they complain against their leaders. And then, see, see you've got to be careful. Because when you get on a self-pity roll, it's like a snowball rolling down a hill. It picks up momentum and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And it goes faster and faster and faster. And that's what's happening here. They chose to go by what they saw. 
Then they began to speak out what they saw. And then they began to come together and agree with what they saw. And now what they saw got bigger than what they saw. And now it's just beginning to roll. And now what they have to do, they've got to do something because Moses is trying to lead them. You, Moses is a man of faith. And when you get around people that are fa- man of, people of faith and you're walking in self-pity, you'll get mad at them. So he got mad at, they got mad at their leaders and now it gets even worse. Look what happens now. Verse 3, why has the Lord brought us to the... Now they're complaining against God. Why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword? God brought us out here to fail. Why did God bring us out here to fail? That our wives and children should become victims... Wouldn't it have been better for us to, would it be better for us to return to Egypt? Remember, Egypt represents the world. There's a verse in Hebrews 11 that says, if you keep thinking about the way things used to be when you were in the world, you'll have an opportunity to go back into the world. And it was talking about them. What you think about, what you focus on, Just like when you're driving your car, what you're looking at is where you're headed. So when we start feeling sorry for ourselves, when we start, and we see, when you start going by your senses, you will eventually start feeling sorry for yourself. Because you'll begin to say, why don't I have this? Why isn't this happening? So-and-so got this. So-and-so received this from God, and I haven't gotten this from God. You begin to all look at things in terms of yourself. You have opened the door for Satan to pour in self-pity because it is the only way he can defeat you. And really what you're doing is worshiping him. And we've all done it. You're worshiping what Satan can do and despising what God said he will do and has done. So now they're complaining about God. And now that's so bad, they want to go back into Egypt. Look at, look at what the leaders did. These are godly leaders. Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the children of God. Why? They're interceding, they're interceding for them. Because they have no idea what they've just said. They're blaming God for what they're afraid of. Verse 6, But Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb, these are the two spies that had a different report, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who spied out the land, tore their clothes and they spoke to all the congregation of Israel, saying, The land we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. And if the Lord delights in us, then He will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord. So He's calling their unbelief rebelling against God. He's calling their unbelief at this point. Now when they first started out and they made mistakes, that wasn't the issue. But they should have learned something by now. Faith is not an emotion. Faith is not a state of mind. This is one of the things the Lord taught me through this journey I've come through this year. Faith is an act of your will. It's a choice of what you're going to believe. It's a choice 
of who you're going to believe. And they chose to believe what they saw and what their senses saw instead of what God said. And now look, now they're, now they're, there's a momentum building to go back into the world. To go back into the world. Hebrews chapter 6 has a warning about not progressing with God. See, if you just come to church on Sunday and that's your, that's your relationship with God, God will love you. And I believe you can get into heaven if you really are saved. But the question is, what are you doing the rest of your life? Where's your heart's commitment? If this is just something you do Sunday morning, then you're going to be tempted and if, to go back into the world. Because that's what's dominating your senses. We're, I'm getting ahead of myself. But whatever you fill your senses up, whatever you feed yourself with, not just physically, but fill yourself with mentally and emotionally, will determine the direction that you head. We're going to see that this is in here for our benefit. They had a destiny, a call of God, a purpose, and they don't make it because they did not learn to walk by faith. They, walk, they were carnal. They were moved by their senses. And this doesn't happen overnight, one way or the other. But if you don't intentionally develop your faith because your flesh is the part of you that came out of the world, you will end up carnal. Verse 9, Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread, and their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. They saw this situation in completely different light. Now look at the consequences. We've got to get there. God's very upset. In fact, He tells Moses, Step aside. I'm going to fry this people. I've had it. Now, he, God didn't get there overnight. He goes through all the tests, all the things they've gone through, through this whole year, plus all the time it took to get delivered out of Egypt. And they've seen day after day after day. See, seeing is not believing. If I could just see this. No, it would inspire you for the moment, but you've, where's your heart's commitment? That's what determines where you'll go. And the congregation said to stone them with stones, and the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle before the meeting of the children of Israel. Okay. Now, let's go over to verse 26. Because Moses intercedes for them. God says, I'm going to fry this people. We're going to start over again, O Lord. We're going to start over again, and start with, with, we're going to start from scratch with you. And Moses said, well, what are the Egyptians going to think? You got them out, but you couldn't bring them in the promised land. And so what God says basically how long am I going to bear with this congregation who complains against me? I've heard their complaints with the children of Israel. Make See, God hears our complaints. Verse 18, 26, 28. So to them, as I live, says the Lord, look at me, just as you've spoken in my hearing, so I will do to you. Verse 29. The carcasses of you who've complained against me shall fall in this wilderness. What did they say? You've led us out here to die in the wilderness. It would have been better for us to die in the wilderness. So God says, okay, be it done unto you according to your words. 
I love what Tony Cook says sometimes. He says, when God mentions carcass and you in the same sentence, that's not good. <laughs> All of you are numbered according to kind from 20 years of age over. We don't have time to go through the rest of them. And what God, says, what God says is, but you said your children would die here and they will not. So what God had to do is He says, everyone 20 years of age and over. In other words, everybody who came out of Egypt is going to die here in the wilderness. God didn't strike them with fire, but they couldn't go in. So God led, said, I'm going to lead you around the rest of these 40 years. Another 39 years, we're going to go around this big pattern in the wilderness because I've got to wait for you to die off because you do not have the faith to enter into what I promised you. I've got to let your children do it because they didn't have Egypt in them. They didn't have the memory of the leeks and the onions and all the things in Egypt. Of course, they forgot about the whips and the punishment and the hard labor. Hebrews 4, verse 2. Can you quickly put that up? We're going to have to end. Now, this is Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews, writing about this same issue. Looking back at the story, he says, For the gospel was preached to them, the people we just studied, as well as you. But the word they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. So you can come Sunday after Sunday and hear the word. You can listen to CDs and podcasts and tapes and whatever you listen to. But if that word does not get mixed in with faith, it will not profit you. You can sit here for 50 years and never grow until you begin to apply what you heard and you may fail at times and succeed at times, but if you do not quit, that faith will grow and God will teach you. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 1 talks about that, that you can put it up there, yeah. He says, I don't want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were in the call under the cloud, all passed through the sea, verse 2. He's talking about what they went through. They were all baptized into Moses. That means they were joined together with him. They went through this together with him in the cloud and in the sea. They, were all, they all went through this experience together, verse 3. They all ate of the same spiritual food. That's the manna. They, in other words, they all experienced this together, verse 4. And they all drank of the same spiritual drink, for they drank of the spiritual rock that followed them. That was Christ. Verse 5. But with most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Verse 6. Now these became... The, the, now, now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Give you a background on this and then we'll, we'll end with this. Back at the end of chapter 9, Paul talks about his own journey. He said, he said I, I keep my body under, lest having preached to others, Paul, the apostle, I myself should be disqualified. I'm not talking about whether you go to heaven or not. I should be disqualified. I should fail the test. In other words, if I don't keep my body under control, if I don't learn how to be governed not by my body, but by my spirit, I will eventually fail the test. And then he goes and uses Israel as an example of that as a lesson to us. 
So the reason we're going through all this is to explain to us why it is so important that we learn to walk by faith in what God says. And it's a lifelong process. You're not going to, if you start that journey today, you will not master it by next Sunday. But you've got to grow in it. And the Spirit of God is in us to teach us, to lead us into all truth, to guide us and to govern us. But we've got to choose. It starts with an act of your will. And we'll begin next time to begin to talk about how we can do this and where that faith is. And we'll give you a little more help to do it. But the whole purpose of going through this exercise is to awaken us to who's in us and why it's important. The way to contact Him and be in relationship with Him and walk in this is to learn to walk by faith and not by sight. Amen? Amen. Praise God. Did you get something out of this? All right, well, let's give the Lord a hand clap.